Hi, I'm Natasha Tina Liu. I play Alice on Cobra Kai, and you're listening to Cobra Kai Companion. Welcome to another episode of Cobra Kai Companion, and I am Peter, host of this podcast. On this episode, I spoke with Natasha Tina Liu, who played Alice in season two of Cobra Kai. This interview is a little bit different from some of the previous interviews that we've had on the show. Natasha shared very personal stories, such as family struggles, some very personal things that had happened to her. And she also shared stories about her going to boarding school and modeling around the world and also uh, some of her work in theater. So she has definitely lived a life. And um, I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. Hello. Natasha? Hey. Hey, it's Peter. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Doing all right. Uh, do you have any questions for me before we get started? Uh, no, not really. I'm ready to get started. Okay. All right. Well, um, yeah, it's it's really just, you know, two people having a conversation, really. That's why I didn't have uh, questions to really send you. Um, with, the, with the show, uh, I know that our listeners, they really enjoy learning about background on uh, actors from the show, you know, previous projects and things like that. Uh, and I know that Hayden told me personally that they enjoy listening to these interviews because there's actors that they don't talk to very much with. And, you know, this is a way for them to kind of get to know, you know, the people that work on the show. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Now, I have very little to go off of. Uh, you know, I found one of your resumes online and whatever IMDb has on you. And I know it, that has actually backfired one time, oh, a couple times, actually. Like, I read something off the IMDb and, and the person I've interviewed was like, uh, that's not necessarily true. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll obviously hear it straight from you, but you are Asian American. This is something that we discussed uh, via text messaging, you know, prior to, well, just getting to know each other. But... I found out that you two are second generation. Was it you're you're from Virginia? You grew up in Virginia? Yeah, I grew up in North Chesterfield, Virginia. And what was that like there? It was interesting. I grew up in a working class household and yeah, it was a little difficult growing up because my parents, they couldn't afford the house that we were in and they were constantly talking about not being able to pay the mortgage and like just paying for stuff. And so we were living in this house that we couldn't afford, surrounded by like normal middle class families with actually in the middle class. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was really hard. Um, I grew up in Chesterfield County and I just spent most of my childhood just really badly wanting to fit in. Uh, because, yeah, it was majority uh, Caucasian people um, in Chesterfield County. So, yeah, I felt alienated uh, when I was a kid. And my little sister, um, she stopped speaking Mandarin Chinese because she she felt embarrassed to speak it. Um, so that was sort of sad that it got to that point. But um, I'm glad to have, like, reclaimed my culture at this point, uh, going to boarding school and 
living in Los Angeles now, I, I feel more at home being myself. Mm -hmm. Did uh, being the older sister, did you feel like any pressure from your family to um, like be a good role model, setting examples and things of that nature? Yes and no. Um, I always put a lot of pressure on myself, regardless of my parents. So my parents never really had to put much pressure on me. I was the kid at school who, if I got a B on a chemistry exam, I would freak out over it and then um, try to get like after school tutoring and be like, oh, like I got a B on this exam. Like how, what can I do to get an A next time? I was always a straight A student. Um, and I always, and that actually like gets in the way as an actor sometimes being a perfectionist and wanting to get everything right. But yeah, I feel like I, you know, by being a perfectionist and wanting to get everything right, I, I was setting a good example for my little sister because my little sister is the same way. Um, she got straight A's when she was in school, too. She went to a high school for international relations because in Virginia, we do have these specialty schools for international relations or humanities or the arts. So you could apply to a specialty center or a governor's school instead of going to your public school. So I motivated her to get out of her comfort zone and apply to school and to be in her extracurriculars and to apply to college out of state even uh, when she was a senior in high school. When you were in high school, what did you, for yourself, what did you um, plan to do in terms of a career? I knew all along that I wanted to act. I initially went to a governor's school for musical theater um, because I, I started out um, singing. Like singing was the thing that I absolutely loved. Um, and then I transitioned into musical theater um, and then I transitioned into just acting because I was really bad at dance and I was so embarrassed by it. So I, I stopped doing musical theater. But yeah, from ever since I was, I think, 12, 13, 14, I just knew I wanted to perform. And I actually started taking voice lessons at 10. Everything I, went, I had always wanted to do. I remember asking my parents, I, I told them, I don't want like any new clothes. I don't want Christmas presents. I just want to be able to take voice lessons. That's what they did. And and they were okay with that? Yeah, I mean, my mom, initially, she thought it was a hobby. Um, but then when it turned out to be not a hobby, and I, I kept telling them, like, I want to do this as a profession, there was a lot of arguing. I remember this huge fight that my mom and I had. Um, it got, like, pretty violent, and she kept yelling at me, and I yelled back. And I just got so fed up that I told her, okay, fine, I'll do interior design or something else artistic that's more sensible. But then, I mean, to end, to end the argument, because I didn't want to keep yelling and crying and fighting. Right. Uh, but then, like, you know, a few days later, I was like, no, I'm, I'm still acting. Like, <laughs> that was just to get us out of the argument. Yeah, right. I was sneaky as a kid, very argumentative. My mom, she would say in Chinese, like, oh, he's wrong, being one. Like, Yeah. <laughs> Really, I don't wrong. know what that means. <laughs> um, I, it basically means like, oh, you love like arguing and nitpicking at what I have to say and like not not agreeing with me. Is it an expression or something? That's a good question. I always, um, I yeah, it is a Chinese expression. Bian mun. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, lack of harmony, not agreeing. <laughs> 
debating. You mentioned early on, you know, you took voice lessons and and wanted to become an actor. Um, What was it that inspired you at that young of an age? So when I was in elementary school, I did a show called Snow Biz. So like show biz, but snow biz. And I played a snow angel. And I just felt so at home on stage. I felt like for once in my life, I was a part of my community, uh, sharing song with the audience and everyone was, they just responded so positively. I felt like for the first time, I wasn't just that Chinese girl. I was like a part of the community and people enjoyed my performance as a snow angel. So yeah, that warm feeling inside made me want to pursue it more and to go deeper into storytelling. Um, yeah, it, it all began with singing and doing a musical in elementary school and then getting obsessed with storytelling and stories and movies. Right. Were you also in choir? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Choir was my jam. Um, <laughs> I was I did four in... years. Oh, you did four years? Four, oh, uh, I feel. Oh, well, okay. Maybe, maybe three and a half. Um, so real sh- short story here. I, uh, I'm i a teen father or was a teen father. Uh, so my senior year, I actually had a newborn. And um, I was also working full time. And so I would often fall asleep in classes, including uh-huh. choir. And mm-hmm. so one day I kind of woke up like in the middle of class and uh, I was I was embarrassed by the teacher in front of my peers. And so I ended up dropping choir because of it. And... So it was it was on me, but uh, I oh. I really did enjoy the time you know I had. Did you enjoy singing? Like, are you a singer? I did. I, I you know, I, I I like to sing. I, I wouldn't call myself a singer. I like to karaoke. You know, I love music. <laughs> uh, I, I did I did band for a few years myself. I also took like improv in high school. You know, so I did some kind of some acting. I I tried auditioning for theater myself or for some of the school plays and I never got a role uh, but it's nothing that I really really tried hard in doing it were there were it, there were opportunities that I saw that I tried taking and that was the extent of it mm. actually you just uh, you said something like I never got a role and that's <laughs> I that I, I had like <laughs> I don't want to say like PTSD, but that's how I constantly felt growing up. I would audition for things, and then I'd be like, yeah. "Oh, you get that one." And yeah, I feel like um, my whole life has been even like no like rejection from my parents. I feel like my entire life has been <laughs> preparing me for this industry. But yeah, all you need is that one yes to make things happen. Right. Yeah, I feel like throughout. Um, high school and college even I felt like I was never like booking the lead roles in the plays or musicals at school and like I that really frustrated me I was I kept yeah I always questioned myself like what's wrong with me why am I not good enough I'm putting myself through so much training and yeah sometimes you just gotta release those thoughts and realize that you are enough and things will fall together (laughs) right um, yeah. So you're from Virginia, but then you also went to USC for a little bit. How did you make that change from one coast to the other? I actually went to boarding school um, in between Virginia and USC. And actually boarding school okay. was what led me to USC. Um, I was a little fed up with the program at my the first 
high school that I went to, I felt like it wasn't rigorous enough for me to achieve the goals that I wanted to achieve. Um, I was dead set on getting into a BFA program for college and to do a very intense after training program for college to be ready for the industry. And I wanted, I wanted like the best program out there. So I begged my mom to take me to Michigan so I could audition for Interlochen Arts Academy. Um, oh my gosh, that was a crazy experience. I remember we, f- we couldn't afford to fly into Traverse City. So hmm. we flew to Detroit and my mom's not used to driving in the snow and it was, it was winter, like snowing. And this is when, you know, your parents really love you. My mom drove all the way from Detroit to Interlock in Michigan. That was, I think it was six or seven hours of driving, maybe longer in oh, the wow. snow, um, just so I yeah. could audition for this boarding school. And when I got that accepted, I, it did. I, I thought she was going to say no, but I feel like by that point she had seen how intense I was about this passion for the arts and for performing that she, yeah, she finally did support it. Like she never verbally said like, I believe in you or you're really, you know, I can see this happening for you, but she, you know, through her actions, she showed yeah, me. I can relate. Yeah. I um, shared a story on this podcast in one of our many episodes that we've done, but uh, I, I had mentioned that my my father and I, we, we didn't have your quote-unquote traditional father and son relationship. You know, I, I was a, a teenager who got into a lot of trouble. And, you know, obviously, uh, I, I, had a, I fathered a son at a very young age, and uh, my father kind of lost face pretty early on in, in my teenage years. And it took me joining the Army for him to, um, he wrote to me while I was in basic training to tell me uh, that he loved me and that I brought honor to our last name. You know, and he had never said anything like that before, like ever. Yeah, I feel like with Asian parents, a lot of the time, it's not until you're an adult when you realize, oh, my parents do love me. <laughs> I'm glad yeah. your dad finally came around and, you know, told you that. Yeah, and like a lot, I feel like a lot of the time, the time it's not verbal it's through actions yeah do you, do you think it's just because they're from the old country i mean you look at the pictures of them growing up and i don't remember uh, many pictures of my dad in his youth smiling and i just thought that that was the times you know that they, they just didn't smile but maybe that's just kind of how it was in that region um my parents are from taiwan um and okay. I'm, I'm ethnically chinese as well my mom had smiling wedding photos with my dad and they were all done up in these crazy costumes and this heavy makeup. Um, so I'm not exactly sure. I, I, I don't know what um, growing up in Taiwan in the 60s was like. Mm-hmm. Um, that My mom was born in the 60s. But I mean, from what I've seen in their photos, they, they smiled. <laughs> so maybe our yeah. parents had different experiences. <laughs> Yeah, my, my, I know that my father fled from Laos because of you know the war to escape communism and 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 all of that. So he he spent a lot of his uh, youth in France as well before coming to the U.S. Oh wow! So he he experienced many cultures. You're so lucky to have parents who have seen a lot of um, yeah different cultures. Um, but yeah, it's really sad that he had to flee from war. That yeah, my my right. grandfather fought in World War II um, and. Yeah, it's just really 
disheartening. A lot of the things that he talks about and the yeah. things that happen. He still, to this day, he talks about it all the time. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, what is boarding school like? What was your time there? You know, did you have any kind of uh, insight into your career? Because we've, we've talked about singing, we talked about acting, and you've done some modeling as well. Yeah, I feel like boarding school was the push I needed to make myself, that helped me believe in myself. For the first time in my life, I was surrounded by artists that wanted to do it professionally. Um, So everyone around me knew that, I mean, for the most part, there were some people here and there that didn't know, but for the most part, everyone um, at Interlochen, they wanted to pursue the arts professionally. Um, and that was really motivating and inspiring. It, like the school is full of extremely talented people. Um, I was, it actually gave me so much anxiety because I am a perfectionist. So I, um, yeah, it made me super, um, inspired, but also scared. Yeah. And just seeing, um, seeing my classmates get into schools like Juilliard and Carnegie Mellon and, you know, just competitive conservatory programs. Because I, I uh, went to Interlochen as a junior. So seeing people I know get into top programs, that made me think, okay, I see what they're doing. And like they got into um, there and they're really hardworking. So if I'm, if I work hard in my classes and take classes with these teachers and um, ask them about how they did it, then maybe I can do it too. And it's just, yeah, it's really motivating when the people around you are really talented and successful at what they do. It was really helpful. <laughs> and just as passionate as I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it wasn't just actors. It was filmmakers and dancers, musicians, singer-songwriters, writers, um, just all over the spectrum. It was absolutely incredible. Um, and Interlochen would actually bring in guest teaching artists. Um, we had people like Jason Robert Brown and Kerrigan and Loudermilk. They would come in from all over the world to uh, Tony Kushner too to speak to Interlochen students. Now, did you have any like uh, instructors that was very inspiring, or um, was there like the the the, the one person that kind of I, I guess inspire you in one way or the other? You know, like in a different direction that you didn't even think for yourself. Um, I feel like right now uh, there's a teacher that I really like studying with uh, his name is Jack Plotnick and he's really taught me how to get out of my own way and just believe in myself and my abilities and my instincts rather than freaking out about how to break the scene down and like what's my objective what are which you know <laughs> beat changes all the technical like bullshit <laughs> um, yeah. he, he's really helped me to get out of my own way so I feel like in my adult life that teacher is Jack Plotnick I love his workshops and I love what he teaches and in high school, um, I had this teacher named David Monty, and he taught physical characterization, and he also taught Shakespeare. And I feel like I, I learned how to act through his class. <laughs> I was thinking, like, whatever I was doing before probably wasn't acting, but he taught me how to act. Um, yeah, I feel like David Monty taught me how to act, and Jack Plotnick taught me how to just be. Uh-huh. Were you um, ever into Shakespeare from that class? Yeah, yeah. I feel like Interlochen taught me an appreciation of classical theater. Um, It's definitely not my forte, but through school I've learned how to 
like it more than I did before. <laughs> Just appreciate it a little bit more. Appreciate it a little, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was kind of into literature. I mean, at the, at the time, like uh, sophomore year, I had a teacher that inspired me. And at that point in my life, as a sophomore, I, I wanted to be an English teacher. You know, just like this, this teacher is amazing. She's wonderful. She gives us really cool and fun assignments. And then, I don't know, I, I guess I've never been much of a reader. And um, I don't know. It's kind of funny to want to be an English teacher, but also not a big fan of reading. Wait, I don't. How how did that? How did you want to be an English teacher, but not enjoy reading? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, uh, because a lot a lot of the I I wrote some stories. I mean, I was also into music, so I wrote songs as well. Um, so I found the opportunities to instead of writing stories, I would turn them into songs. And you know, one time. Uh, I wrote a narrative story, and uh, it was for To Kill a Mockingbird, and I wrote it from the point of view as, was it Jim Finch? Is that Scout's brother? I, I kind of forget. It's been so long. But I turned that into like a rap song. You oh, know, wow. And, and she, yeah, she accepted You're it. The, you, know, it <laughs> you would have been the next Lin-Manuel Miranda if you had Oh, maybe. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. Yeah, you literally never know. <laughs> yeah, maybe you should have been a composer. Perhaps, perhaps I, I do. I, I I feel like I have an ear for music. You know, like production wise, I'll listen to something and there will be something that sticks out, and I'll point that out to somebody. Like, oh, I I really like this part, and you know, to, to a lot of other people, they're just like it's it's just music. But you know, I'll be like, no, it's it's this. You know, I don't know. Um, I I've always like loved music as much as I love movies, but. I don't know. I guess I just never really had that push. Um, it, I mean, it also could have been like I enlisted so early, you know, and I didn't go to college, so I didn't have that. And maybe being a teen dad also kind of stunted a lot of those aspiration, aspirations that I had. Mm-hmm. Could be a lot of things, but, you know. Um, yeah, life happens, and then you just have to deal with life and pursue dreams later. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Usually that's the case, but you know, I, I'm sure my parents always wanted me to have you know that good job that where you know I can take care of myself and my family. But they also never pushed me or pressured me, you know. And maybe I needed that. I don't know. Maybe I'm not sure. I feel like everything happens for a reason. I feel like my parents never yeah. pushed me or pressured me to pursue the arts. I just pushed and pressured myself. Um, yeah. Yeah, sometimes it's you doing it to yourself in a masochistic mm -hmm. way. Yeah. Yeah. Now, of all the places that you've traveled, you've, you've been around the world, where are some of your favorite places to have, uh, have been? Oh, my goodness. I, so I, I used to be an art model, so I would pose for artists and art photographers and because of this job, I got to go to Paris and Cairo and London, Budapest, Rome. I think my favorite place was probably Paris. I know that sounds cliche, but ever since I was a little girl, I, I just, I love the architecture there, the food, the culture. The history, um, yeah. Yeah, the history. There's just something magical about it. I remember um, going to the catacombs and there's just a bunch of bones and skulls and um oh, wow. I, yeah i love the grotesque because they had to um <laughs> they had to dispose of the body somehow and they 
yeah, that's where they put them. So I love that. Yeah, it, it was the, there was the grotesque, but also the beauty and um, yeah, that was an absolute dream. That the Paris trip. I went Thanksgiving week one year. Um, yeah, I just in Cairo too, experiencing a complete different. If you think LA and traffic is or traffic in LA is bad, traffic in Cairo is even worse. Like people are running through the streets and like even more aggressive than LA. Oh wow. Um, yeah, just being able to experience or experience something completely different. Um, like we don't have horses and llamas and goats and cats on the streets here. It was <laughs> it was very cool. It was yeah, um, yeah. But women are definitely treated differently in Cairo as well. So that was I feel grateful that women are treated better here in the United States. Oh wow, yeah, interesting. Um, yeah. N- now, w- w- when you were modeling, were you also doing theater at the same time, or are you are you switching your different crafts? I was doing the art modeling to sustain myself as an actor. That was my side hustle. Uh, so yeah, I was uh-huh. doing both simultaneously because um, the art modeling paid well enough, so I wouldn't have to hold down a serving job or some other not so fun side hustle. It was the most fun and most lucrative side hustle for me oh that's awesome yeah yeah mm-hmm. i mean because you you see you know the, i guess the cliche is you know working as a server and just busting your ass harder than did you really want to for you know this other thing that you're waiting on yeah my, my dad was actually a waiter his basically his whole adult life until he got a, a stroke and my mom didn't want me to be like that. Um, I would oh. see my dad come home. My dad worked like six days a week and he worked so hard and made so like in Virginia, it's okay to, I don't know why it's legal to pay a server two twenty five an hour because they make tips. Wow. But that's what my dad made. It was really hard. So I, I was a server when I was 16 and it was the hardest thing I'd ever done. So I, I just didn't <laughs> want to go back to that. And after seeing my dad, it's not easy. It's not easy. Yeah, you so know, hard. Kudos to yeah. those. Yeah. And people have to put up with a lot of shit too, you know, when it comes to patrons. Yeah. I have an actor friend who is a server. I won't say what restaurant, but she said that <laughs> her supervisors are very nitpicky and they stopped her after a shift and they showed her some security footage and they literally asked her, so you saw that, what did you do wrong right there? Um, and they literally talked to her like very condescendingly, condescendingly. And yeah, it just makes me sad that people are treated that way. I know it's not everywhere, but it's, that's sad. I am someone who values freedom. So I, that makes me, I would rather be a freelancer than uh, work under someone like that. Yeah. That's pretty terrible. I mean, and you see like YouTube clips of, people uh, sharing their ex- uh, bad experiences in, in restaurants. Yeah, it's really sad. <laughs> it is. Um, it's, some of your uh, work in film, uh, how do you go about choosing the quote-unquote right role for you? Uh, I did see your trailer for Harmony of Grey, which, um, you know, it, it looks very dark, and it definitely piqued my interest, and that is something I am interested in checking out if it's ever uh, available. Oh, my goodness. That movie was such a dream to work on. I collaborated with friends from boarding school um, to make that film. Um, It was over one winter break. It was um, during my freshman year of college. 
And it was actually, it was written by my friend Hannah and my friend Nita. And I also, um, it's about my personal experiences and Hannah's personal experiences um, as an art model and with sexual assault and um, growing up in, in a city and adjusting from childhood to adulthood. And uh, yeah, it, it, honestly, that's the most rewarding thing I've worked on to this day um, because it was so personal to us and because we, we made that together and yeah, working together right. with friends and having your voice matter in a project like that. It's yeah, it was amazing. It's about two musicians living in New York city and they're both studying at music conservatory and they have to deal with sexual assault and the aftermath of that while being poor struggling music students in New York City. And how important was it for you two to tell the story, you and Hannah? I feel like super important because this was actually before the Me Too movement too. And at that point in my life, I had been sexually assaulted multiple times. And yeah, it's it's unacceptable. And I we, we felt the need to tell that story, to, to give people who don't have a voice it was a story that needs to be told. Um, especially like, I, I love that we, I feel that a lot of people in the arts, especially people who go to conservatory for the arts, they're not working class Asian people. Um, and we, yeah, me and my friend Jay, that, that was actually true to our own personal experiences as working class um, Asian Americans uh, who do go to, um, yeah, who did, in conservatory. So I feel like, you know, it's sort of rare to find a story like that. And yeah, I'm glad that we told it. Did, did that screen at some uh, some of the festivals? Yeah, I uh, went to uh, Cannes in France and Nifty, uh, Dallas Asian American Film Festival, uh, the Made in New York uh, section of the Big Apple Film Festival. I went to a festival in Hong Kong. Yeah, I was oh, wow. so proud of that work. Um Definitely That's be on awesome. the lookout for Mita Chu. I, I think he's an absolute genius. He, we had a crew of four on that film, and it turned out the way it did. It just beautifully shot, beautifully directed, beautifully written. Um, I, I definitely feel like Mita was the mastermind behind that project. It wouldn't have turned out the way it turned out if it weren't for him. Like he did, yeah, the sound editing and mixing and. Um, cinematography. He he was a yeah. He wore like all the hats on that project. He's at um, AFI studying directing now. I I love everything he does. Oh, that's awesome. Were there any of the other projects that you previously done that had any kind of ties to your past experiences, like this one? Past experiences. I did a film called Synchronic recently, and that was really fun. It was an indie film shot in New Orleans and I played a character that was heavily under the influence of drugs and oh my gosh, I probably shouldn't be saying this, but I've done psychedelics before. Um, so it was fun to um, use those experiences um, in that particular role. And I also, I thought it was fun. I, I don't usually play um, characters that are Lucy Goosey doing drugs. So that was really fun. I was like, oh, yeah, I've done LSD before. I've done shrooms before. Like, I can use those experiences <laughs> to feed uh, this character. <laughs> or oh, to, yeah. yeah, to use myself. To, so that was really fun. 
That's uh, that's the one with Jamie Dornan and Anthony Mackie. Yeah, yeah, that will be released in 2020. So super excited about that. Um, yeah, yeah, and I also I did this. Uh, I did a I played uh, Duke's mother in this show called Here and Now that was on HBO. And I won't go into too much detail, but um, long story short, she is a sex worker in Vietnam and she needs to do what she does to support her young son. And she's only a teenager. Um, it, that, yeah, that's deeply personal to me um, because I've done things to support myself that I'm not 100% proud of. But, you know, sometimes you have to do what you, you know, sometimes you have to do not so great things to be able to support yourself when your parents can't financially support you and you're just out on your own. Yeah, I think many, uh, whether they want to admit it or not, can relate. Yeah, yeah, my parents, yeah, my mom didn't want to be a housekeeper at Holiday Inn and clean hotel rooms, but that's what she had to do when she came to America. And my dad didn't want to be a waiter for three decades, but that's what he ended up doing. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is going to be the weirdest transition, but, uh, you know, Cobra Kai, you know, the, the reason that I did reach out to you, um, you know, with your modeling and some of the films that you have been in, how did you hear about Cobra Kai? I auditioned for it through my Atlanta agent. And actually, the audition for the character of Alice was the fourth audition I had had for that show. So the casting director kept having me tape for uh, different roles on that show. Um, so yeah, I heard about it through constantly auditioning for it. Are, are you able to talk about the other roles that you auditioned for? Yeah, totally. Um, so I auditioned for the role of Tori, who was played by Peyton List in the show. And she's actually the person who grabs the uh, microphone from the me. Microphone, yeah. Yeah, that was a fun audition. Um, I also auditioned for the role of Piper. Uh, that's Moon's girlfriend in one of the episodes. And I actually got put on hold for the role of Piper, but then I didn't get it. And then I was really bummed, but... And Alice came in, and I was like, oh, cool, I get to play. I, I love that the casting director kept bringing me in for different roles, like totally different roles. Um, it was awesome. fun to stretch my acting and be the badass and also be the super type A person who's like super proud of being on honor roll. And yeah, it was so fun. I guess that's uh, one of my questions for you uh, for the character of Alice. Um, is, is Alice a student or is she a faculty member? Alice is a student. She goes to school okay. um, with the other characters and she is, yeah, she goes to school there and she's very proud of being on honor roll. And she's similar to me, like super type A, things need to be a certain way, uh, very like, a total perfectionist. Yeah, I, I think there was a bit of a debate on our show because uh, uh, I believe in Greece and I've seen it like one time, but so I, I don't remember this scene, but the, uh, you know, your character uh, I, I believe is modeled after the Alice from Greece, who was a secretary. Uh, so there's there's oh. definitely some parallels there, yeah, between Greece and that episode of Cobra Kai. Um, what were you told about this character, or did you build? Did you have to build yourself a a little backstory for Alice? So they gave me very little information about Alice in the breakdown other than the fact that she is a straight A student, proud of being on honor roll, 
perfectionist. Uh, so that's what I got. Um, and then I added my own backstory. Um, in my head, she wanted to, you know, she wants to be president of the United States someday. And um, she's running for student government and she total teacher's pet. And similar to me, you know, when she gets a B, she freaks out about it and immediately gets <laughs> tutoring and does everything in her power to make that B into an A. So her GPA won't drop too low for Harvard. Yeah. Um, that sort of thing. She's the type of girl that fakes sickness to get out of class so she can take the test at a later date to get a higher grade. Oh, wow. Just so she can study more. Yeah, yeah. I feel like, and I, and as sad as this is, I think she values getting it right over learning. That's one of her, yeah, one of the things that she struggles with. So that's that's the backstory I made for Alice. What do you recall from um, from filming that day? Uh, you know, with Peyton List, and uh, were there anything that you guys filmed that didn't make the cut, or alternate takes, or anything like that? Um, I remember there was one take where she actually hit me. <laughs> uh, it was ac- by accident. Peyton was so nice. Oh my gosh! Um, I remember Peyton was literally the the sweetest person. Um, super genuine. Um, so for her to be playing Tori, like it was total, she, yeah, she's such a great actress. Um, there was a take where she actually hit me, um, and I was so surprised. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that didn't make the, you know, that actually that was not shown, but um, that surprised me, and it surprised her, and she apologized afterwards. But I, I thought that was super awesome. I was like, whoa, this is real life now. I, I love when stuff like that happens um, in acting, as long as nobody gets hurt. Yeah, was it pretty much when you guys were wrestling for the microphone? Yeah, yeah, when she we were fighting for the microphone and she grabs it out of my hand. Um, I was shooting on no sleep and no coffee because I was actually on set for Synchronic the night before. I had a oh, wow. night shoot with Synchronic. Um, yeah, I was on set until like 4 or 5 in the morning. Then I had to like fly myself from New Orleans to Atlanta to make it to set on time. Um, then I, yeah dashed from the airport to get to set for Cobra. It was, that was an insane, I was running on, after um, I wrapped Alice, I fell asleep for 15, 16 hours. That, that was, oh, wow. yeah, that was the, the least sleep and I, I had ever done a shoot before. Um, but yeah, it was worth it because I, I got to meet new people more and collaborate. I feel like when you're doing what you absolutely love doing, um, you don't get tired and it doesn't because you're, you're just in it, you know? But I, uh, now I know for myself, like I, I'm probably, it's probably not wise for me to do something like that again, like a night shoot immediately into the morning. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I don't think you planned it to happen that way either though. No, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> but that's what happens. <laughs> now, uh, you know, just a few more minutes be- before we wrap up. Um, it sounds like you've gone quite a bit. Uh, you know, you, you've shared very many personal stories uh, on, on the show. Uh, what advice do you have for someone that may be going through uh, some of the things you've experienced or maybe even the struggles of trying to get into the industry? I think the biggest thing is you, ha- you have to constantly remind yourself that you are enough. 
and that happiness comes from within, you have to remember that you're a human and you're more than your bookings. You're more than whoever your agent or manager is. You're more than whatever a casting director told you you are. That's the biggest advice that I would give anyone who is trying to make it in the industry or needs um, a pep talk because, yeah, I constantly struggled with anxiety and fear of not being enough as an actor when I was a kid and now even. But, yeah, you are enough. That keeps me grounded. And that concludes my conversation with Natasha Tina Liu. Um, again, I want to thank her for coming on the show and sharing her stories. They were very personal, and I can't imagine it was easy. The brief time that I knew her prior to the uh, the interview, uh, we did text a little bit, um, getting to know each other. And obviously, after the interview, we spoke a little bit more as well. And she is nothing short of inspiring and the drive that she has to achieve, you know, what she ultimately wants uh, in life, in, in her career. So big thanks again uh, for sharing that story. Um, another thing that her and I talked about because of what she had shared, um, you know, I wanted to get her thoughts on it. But uh, there is a hotline for anybody that does want it. Um, it's a nonprofit organization called RAIN, R-A-I-N-N, uh, the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. But for anybody that would like the number, uh, it is 800-656-HOPE, 4673. Uh, I will include that in the show notes, so it is there. Uh, but also, according to the website, you can chat with somebody, you know, one of their specialists, uh, should you need assistance. And that's going to wrap up for this episode. Um, if you guys are interested in following us on social media, we are available on many platforms. Uh, on Twitter, we are at Cobra Kai Pod and on Instagram at Cobra Kai Podcast. Uh, we do have a Facebook page and also a group page. Uh, just check the show notes. There's a link. You can click on that. It'll take you to the page and you can um, send in your requests. And as always, thank you for your guys' continued support and for listening to this episode. Please, if you know someone that can benefit from hearing Natasha's story, please share this episode with them. And until the next episode, I'll talk to you guys later. Thank you for listening to the Court and Parts Podcast Network. To listen to more Court and Parts shows, visit courtemparts.com.